Tupac Shakur. Yeah. On one of his album covers, he's shirtless, and across his chest is a tattoo. That too says thug life. Anything about Tupac Shakur, you say, you know what? Seems like a fitting tattoo. It makes sense. That tattoo makes sense on you. Which then raises the question for me. If I was to get something tattooed across my chest, what would make sense for me? Now, it would have to be in small writing, because unlike a lot of the fellas around here on a college campus, I'm not pectorally blessed. So, like, the canvas just, just isn't that great to work with. And it would need to be something, you know, I, I would never get a tattoo because I'm deathly afraid of needles. Like, I'd spend the whole time probably just screaming like Homer Simpson um, if someone brought that, that tattoo gun at me. But if, if I were to do it, what would it be? And as I was praying about this, I came across this text today in Romans chapter 14. I said, that's it. It's my theme verse in life. And if I was ever to get something tattooed across my chest, I would get part of Romans 14 verse 6 tattooed on my pectoral muscles. Because it says this. This is the word of the actual living and high God from the NIV. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God. Glory be, glory be. Like, man, I read that and I said the spirit of God came upon me. I started to get excited. I started to think about all the things I was going to say. And I just had to take a minute. I had to take a minute because I was like, man, if I just preach on this one little passage from this text, I'm going to have to take my preaching handkerchief out. I'm going to be sweating barbecue sauce. I'm going to have this, this testimony time. I might not even know what I'm talking about because God would just come upon me and give me all of these words and all of this exposition. And I said, I said, okay, Lord, Lord, give me another word because I feel like this text isn't all about me and it isn't all about meat. Now, it's a lot about meat. We're going to talk about meat, but it's not all about meat. There are some other things going on here. And so in Romans chapter 14, what's Paul talking about to the good Christians at Rome? He says this, beginning in verse 1, Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord who is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. But for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. 
Paul's having a conversation that we hear him have a number of times in the letters that he writes to other churches. And he's talking here about what does it look like for us to focus on the essentials of our faith and what does it look like for us to be a united community. This issue of meat was something that was oftentimes discussed and argued about and even fought over in the early Christian church because there was this situation where in the meat market, Markets, there was meat where part of the animal had been sacrificed to pagan gods. Then the parts of the meat that were not sacrificed to the pagan gods were then put up for sale so that people could recoup their investment. And so as you're going through the markets, you may be buying food that was not prepared in a way that was okay with your spiritual conscience. And there were Christians who had been a part of these festivals, who had been a part of these sacrifices, and they decided for one reason or another, you know what, I, I just have to stay away from all meat, at least for a while. Because when, when, I, when I go to the market and when I see these things, it leads me to a place where I was before. It reminds me of my old life. It reminds me of my former self. It reminds me of that thing that Jesus Christ has called me out of. And so I am going to abstain from eating meat. That is for my own spiritual good. That is for my own spiritual strength. And as a matter of conscience, that's going to be a decision I can make that can help me follow Jesus Christ in the best possible way. Way, the most effective way. Jesus is going to be able to transform my life without me sliding back into old habits or me sliding back into old desires or me sliding back into old relationships. And in Romans, typically, these were the Gentile believers. And they, in fact, had maybe heard of Paul or they had heard of Jesus Christ from these churches that Paul had established all over the Greco-Roman world. And they had come to Rome to be a part of the church. And they had come with, with, with this with this resolve and with this habit that they had. Now, the people who were already in Rome, a lot of them were, were more established in their faith. There were a lot of Jewish Christians in Rome, and they had followed a lot of food laws for centuries and centuries and centuries. And they, in their relationship with Jesus Christ, were exercising their freedom. And so they're saying, you know, it does not violate my conscience to, to, to eat meat. And for some of them, they would even say, it doesn't even violate my conscience to eat meat that is sacrificed to idols. This thing that, that I put into my body, I'll pray over. I'll say the blessing like that ain't going to make me want to worship some other God. I'm going to now enjoy this thing, this, this freedom in the Lord. And, and for me to, to sit down and to have this meal that includes meat, that will not cause me to stumble. That will not cause me to fall. That will not cause me to, to, to sin. And so you have this issue then in a lot of the churches, but specifically in the Roman church where you have two different groups. And sometimes what Paul says is important. Sometimes what he doesn't say is important. What he doesn't explicitly say here in, in chapter 14 is important that you have two groups that are separated and they're separated by culture and ethnicity. Because you have the Jewish people who are expressing their freedom, they're exercising their freedom. You have these Gentiles who, who have come in and they're saying, no, we need to be more disciplined. And so they're not sharing the table of the Lord together. 
They're not fellowshipping together. They're not spending time together. They're not in each other's homes together. They're not serving each other. And one of the ways that, that, that we as people love to serve each other, which is, which is at a common table together. And so they're not spending that time together. And then this other thing is happening where there are some Jewish holidays and there are some Christian holidays and the dates don't quite match up. And some of the holidays match up with, with pagan festivals or, or pagan dates. And so then you have with the Jews and the Gentiles, you have another separating where they're not getting together at the same time to celebrate the same things. And you have this stark division in the church where on one side you have these Jewish Christians who tend to be strong in their faith but are exercising their freedom. On the other side, you have these non-Jewish Christians who tend to be new in their faith who are exercising discipline and they're not in relationship with each other. And so instead of one church, what you have is two different churches. And in having two different churches, they're standing across from each other. And instead of encouraging each other, they're pointing fingers and they're judging each other. And for Paul, that's a problem. For Paul, that's a problem. Because what does he come back to over and over again in Romans? And what does he even say in this text? That the things that we should be doing, we should be doing them for God. The things that we should be doing, everything that we're about should be about our, our knees bowing down before, their, before our Lord. That we should be acknowledging God with, with, with our words, with our tongues, with our actions, with our very lives. And what was happening in the church at that point in time was kind of the opposite of that. Even though for each side, their justification was that they were wanting to do what God called them to do. This puts some, some, uh, creates some, some interesting questions, I think, for us to wrestle with and for us to answer in, in, in our context as we explore what is the balance, what's the tension that we have with freedom and with discipline? What does it look like for us to be a community that, as Paul says here in verse 1, that, that is accepting or that is welcoming to those whose faith may be weak. Not that they are weak individuals, but just that they are new in their faith. And that it might be easy for some of us to be pulled back into things that Jesus Christ has called us out of as Jesus wants to sanctify, transform, change our lives. As Jesus wants to make us stronger, make us more whole, make us more complete. And the first question that I have is, is this, which is not a question that we ask a lot with this text. The first question I have is, is are, we willing, are we willing to embrace the discipline of the Gentiles? Are we willing to embrace the discipline of the Gentiles? Because there was a, a courage that they were embodying. There was, there was a self-awareness that they had that I think all of us would serve well to adopt and to emulate. You know, if they, they say, say they were a kid and they were at a, a swimming pool and they see that the deep end looks really fun, but they know they don't know how to swim, they were content to just kind of stay and have fun in the shallow area of the pool. Because they knew, even though the deep area looked cool, that, that place of freedom, the place where people were having flips off the diving board and having a party, they knew that they just couldn't deal with that, that they couldn't handle that. 
And so they put structure in their lives so that they were not pulled back into their own lifestyle. But when I think about the Christ follower today, specifically the Western Christ follower, specifically the American Christ follower, I think sometimes we value our freedoms so much that we don't allow God to say, hey, I need you to discipline yourself in such and such a way. And so we, we nibble around the fringes of danger and we nibble around the fringes of temptation until over and over again, we get into this cycle, a cycle of almost what feels like perpetual failure, where then we feel like failures because we can't stand up to sin in its face, where what God is really saying is, hey, for a little bit, why don't you maybe flee from sin? Why don't you maybe run away from sin? Because sometimes you get so close to it that it just sucks you in. When I was four years old, my parents had the bright idea to take me and my two-year-old sister on a cross-country car trip. We loaded up on the, on the West Coast in a four-door sedan, two seats in the front, two seats in the back. You didn't have to have seatbelts back in the day, so my parents just threw a mattress in the back seat. They threw a bunch of toys in the back seat. They put me and my sister in that back seat, and they drove us to New Jersey, three thousand miles away, 6,000 miles round trip in July and August in a car that had no air conditioning. And so, you know, we're driving across the country and somewhere between mile one and between mile 6,000, four-year-old nappy-headed me got a little bit bored. And so I'm sitting in the back seat. I'm sweating butter. The window is rolled down, trying to get a little bit of breeze on me. I got this Hot Wheel car, and I'm driving the Hot Wheel car. I'm driving it on my leg, driving it on my arm, driving it through my afro. I start driving it on the window. And my dad's like, yo, man, don't drive the car on the window. And I'm like, I'm four. I'm a man. I'm grown. I can make my own choices. <laughs> but I was like, don't drive the car on the window. You drive the car on a rolled down window, that wind that's, that's breezing you, that's getting that sweat off you, is going to suck that car right out. I was like, you can't tell me what to do. I do what I want. YOLO. And so I'm driving this car. Vroom, vroom, I'm getting close to the edge. I'm getting close to the edge. Next thing you know, thump. <laughs> that was the sound. And then silence. So my parents are sitting up there. They're trying to control their mouths so they don't laugh at me out loud. <laughs> I'm trying to control my mouth because I got that lip quiver going on. The tears are welling up in my eyes. Don't feel quite so manly anymore. Parents are like, you all right back there? <laughs> yeah. Don't cry. Don't let them see you cry. The problem was even though I was told that I was playing with danger, even though I was told that, that I, was, I was close to loss, even though I was told that my habits were not conducive to the long-term success of my entertainment as we ventured across the country, I didn't listen. I did not exercise a reasonable amount of discipline. I got, I got too close to the edge. When I got too close to the edge, when I put my car too close to the edge, it fell in. And these Gentiles that, that came, they understood that they weren't strong in their faith yet. And they said, you know what, I, just, I don't, I don't want to fall in. And so I'm just not going to, to, to go there with you guys. And so when I look at Romans 14 and what it says to us, first and foremost, I wonder if it's a call for us to repentance. I wonder if it's a call to us for accountability, to be real honest with people and say, you know what? I, I struggle with, with how I, I spend my money. I'm just not responsible. I'm not God honoring with that. And so maybe we take a class about personal finance. Maybe we develop a system. Maybe we let somebody watch our money so that we can be good stewards, so that we can support things that God wants us to support, and so that we can have uh, um, uh, healthy financial habits such as saving and providing, and we can live a life of generosity. Maybe like um, uh, was talked about last week in chapel, maybe we do have an issue 
with sensuality and the sexualization of our culture. And so maybe we do have to sit down and have a talk with our friends and say, you know what, like, like help me to make sure there are certain things that I'm not watching. Or maybe we have to place our computers in a public space so that there is accountability to what we are letting through our eyes. Or maybe we have to sit down and have a serious talk with a person that we are in a relationship with to to make sure that we are not violating the physical boundaries that we know that God wants us to have. But, But perhaps, you know what? We're just not strong enough to keep on our own. It's okay. It's okay to be like the Gentiles and say, you know what? I'm a little bit weak in this area, but I know God wants me to be stronger. And so I am going to obey the call to position myself in a way where I can withstand sin and where I can flee from temptation. Secondly, as I look at this and and consider the practical applications for our own lives. And so, you know, I do wonder if some of us who are stronger in our faith, if some of us who, who have our freedoms, are we utilizing our freedoms so that the glory of God can be honored? Are we utilizing our freedoms so that the glory of God can be honored. Because one of the things that Paul is, is kind of speaking against here, he's not speaking against that, that we should, uh, he's not saying we should not feel free to do things in Christ, but he's saying we should feel free to do things so that people can look at us and say, wow, like God is a good God. And say, well, I want to be a part of that thing that Jesus is about. And sometimes I think we tend to use our freedom of Christ as a trump card so we don't have to hear anybody. So we don't have to hear anybody. And so we say things like Tupac might say, only God could judge me. You can't judge me. I don't have to listen to you. You don't have my best interests in mind. I'm going to go be free. And we set up this God card, this freedom of Christ card to give us carte blanche. And that carte blanche isn't so that we can glorify God. We use that in order to satisfy our own human desires and our own carnal desires. And so what Paul's asking us to do here is to flip the question and not not to look at the freedom that we have in Christ in terms of what can I get away with? What can I I do? How, How far can I go? But instead to say, okay, how can I feel free to glorify God in any number of ways? And man, you know what? For the Jewish people who were partaking in meat, there was some of them and there was a way to do that that was leading them out of this kind of uh, bondage to, to just jumping through hoops and obeying laws just to obey laws without understanding why God had given them those laws. And so there was a sense in which that freedom was breathing life into people's spiritual lives. And, and it was setting them free from something that really had weighed them down for a long time. But at the same time, there was also an application of them utilizing that same freedom that was a little bit selfish, that was a little bit selfish. And so in their application of their freedom, it seems as though maybe they were asking the wrong question. And the question that they were asking predominantly is, is what does this mean for how happy this can make, make me? Not what does my freedom mean for how much joy and meaning to other people's lives can I bring in? Can I introduce? Can I facilitate? Can I cultivate? And so for us, when we think about our freedoms, how we talk about our freedoms, how we implement our freedoms, how we utilize our freedoms, are we doing that selfishly? Or are we doing that selflessly in a life of sacrifice to Jesus Christ? 
And thirdly, this, as I look at this text and consider practical applications for our lives, are we as a Christian school, as a Christ-centered institution, as an institution that does have a, a pocket of us who are being trained to do ministry, who come here because we believe in the things that, that are contained in Scripture, and we want to become better people, we want to become the people that God has wanted us to be, are we creating room, are we creating space to accept those whose faith is weak? And are we in the business of bringing people together? Are we in the business of mutually strengthening each other, even if that means we have to sacrifice of our own desires? For those of us who feel as though our faith is strong, do we have relationships that we're in where we are mentoring people, where we're teaching people, where we're modeling for people? Is there a diversity of people around us where there are some who are strong in the faith, there are some who are seeking, there are some who are weak in the faith, but we can get together and we can find, find ground together, and the people who are strong in their faith are having a positive influence on those around them? Because I think one of the things that disappoints Paul the most is that there was this concentration of those who understood scripture, who had been walking in their faith for a long time, but they were not in any kind of relationship with those who were like, hey, I want to I check this out. I want to see what this is about. And for those Gentiles, the, the desire was there, but the knowledge wasn't necessarily there. And the Jewish Christians were not doing a great job of taking the Gentile Christians and, and helping them walk from point A to point B. And so we go to the swimming pool and we realize that, that we can't swim. And so we stay on, on the shallow end. Or I'll put it like this. I go to the swimming pool with my kids and I know that, that they can't swim. And so instead of me having fun and going off the diving board and running around and going down the slides, I'm with them in the shallow end. And you know what? I'm teaching them the cross stroke and I'm cheering them on. And if at some point, like, like, like they put the, the water through their nose and then they get like the chlorine up in their sinuses and that stings, I hate that. Or they get a little dizzy because the water's all up in, the, in their ears and they're just sputtering. Then man, I'm right there and I'm picking them up and I'm saying, look in my eyes, you're okay. And you know what? We're going to do this again, and we're going to do it together. Man, isn't there some fulfillment in that? Isn't there some joy in that? And then won't I know that it'll be fun someday when they're a little bit older and their skills are a little bit up and they got their weight up when we're having competitions going off the diving board, when we're out in the deep end playing water basketball together, when we're having those, 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 those water wrestling matches together, when we get to go to, to, to a water theme park and we get to go down those speed slides together. I don't think I'll ever do that. There's that one at that Schlitterbahn in Kansas City, and every time I drive past that on the way to the Legends, I'm like, that's a horrible idea. But maybe my kids will be such good swimmers and love the water so much, and then at some point they will say, hey, Dad, we're stronger than you. Come on over here, chicken. And I'll say, okay, and then I'll make a, a good life decision to expand my horizons. Man, wouldn't that be awesome if that's what our relationship looked like? Where I pull them along and they surpass me and then they pull me along and we're just, we're just pushing each other. And we're there for each other. And we're doing things together with each other. That's the kind of pool party that I think Paul imagines the kingdom of believers, the kingdom of heaven to be. 
And so for us, as surely as it is written, as surely as you live, because this is the word of the Lord, let your knees bow before him. Let your tongue acknowledge God. Give an account to God. And whether you're new to the faith or whether you're established in the faith, let's resolve to do this thing together. God, we thank you for this day and the days that have come before it. And God, we're even going to thank you that that you can redeem all situations. That even this situation in the book of Romans that was not a good situation, was not as you intended, that, that, that teaching could come out of this that Paul's wisdom could come out of this, that that we could maybe not make the mistakes of our predecessors, but that we could understand how to walk in a new way. And so God, I pray that you do strengthen us in our faith. I pray God that we would wanna be changed, that we would wanna be transformed. I pray God that you would give us wisdom to stay away from those things that might suck us back in to the life that you have called us out of. I pray God that you would strengthen us to the point where we can stand up in the face of temptation. I pray, God, that you would help us to view each other as more worthy than ourselves and that our hearts would be oriented towards service. And I pray, God, that this this picture of mutual accountability and mutual service and worship of you, that if there's anybody today who who has not said to you, yes, I want to be a part of that, and who has not shared with us, yes, I want to be a part of that, that God today would be the first step for them that they would know that they don't have to be perfect, that they don't have to be finished, that they don't have to be strong straight out the gate, that they don't even have to to know everything, but that we will be here to do this together. Fill our hearts today, God, with love. Fill our hearts with kindness and with worship and with discipline. Help us to know your freedom and how to use it well. In Jesus' name, amen.